We've had more than our fair share of contentious election. This last one in 2016 was just one more of them. And Christians have often been on both sides. Or more than one, more than two sides. Politics has a way of stirring us up. And the truth is, as Christians, we recognize that humanity is sinful and broken. And as long as that remains the truth, then our politics are going to be that way too. I read about a campaign in the 1950s that kind of brought this to the point of smear tactics and mudslinging. You see, there was a man named George Smathers and another man named Claude Pepper, and they were running uh, for Senate in Florida. And George Smathers ran a funny smear campaign against his opponent. He accused Claude Pepper of being a known extrovert. Accused him of matriculating to get into college. He accused him of practicing celibacy before marriage. He said that he practiced nepotism with his sister-in-law. Worse, that his own sister was a thespian and his brother was a homo sapien. Now, I don't know if that worked or convinced anybody. And if you don't know why that was funny, ask Pastor David later. He'll explain it to you. But twisted truths, smear campaigns, mudslinging, none of that is what a Christian is expected to be or even expected to support. But have you seen Facebook lately? I do a lot. You, you, you had this last election where you had Christians on one side who supported a person who told lies, documented lies. This, the same candidate was accused of racism and actually had recorded instances which showed that they were a racist. The Christians supported a candidate who had done crooked business deals and cheated people, who'd crushed other people to get ahead. In case you didn't realize it, that was both candidates. You see, the funny thing is, as human beings, we're often willing to let matters of conscience, of morals, of right and wrong go to support what we think will get us our way. I don't understand that. Because who we vote for and who we support matters. Because they're going to make the laws that we have to follow. Through most of history, we've had no choice at all, and we're just stuck with whatever the current government or regime is. But here we actually have a choice, and I see Christians on both sides allowing some terrible things to be approved of so that they can get the things that they want. We have to ask ourselves, as Christians, how are we supposed to deal with politics and government? How are we supposed to deal with these things? We're in our Roman series right now, which we call Getting the Gospel. That is, getting the gospel is understanding it, really grasping it in our hearts. So if you would join me in Romans chapter 13, we're going to talk about politics and government and law and all of that stuff today. We might even get into taxes. So Romans chapter 13, we're going to start right at verse 1. 
And Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, just got done speaking in chapter 12 about Christians doing the right thing out of love for what's right. Out of doing the right thing because we've been transformed. We're not the same as the rest of the world. And so we're supposed to do the right thing. And he's begun to get into some practical examples of what that looks like. And then, next week, spoiler alert, he's going to return to that concept of doing the right thing out of love. Because we're transformed. Now here, he kind of makes this weird aside that Christians have argued about a little bit over time, which it sort of seems there's just like this little extra piece put in there. But really, it's an application of what he's talking about as transformed human beings, what we're supposed to be. So join me in chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 1 here. He says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay your taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. That's some rough stuff to wrap your mind around if you think about it. That God established the authorities. Even Donald Trump. Even Barack Obama. You know, it's funny, they're laughably easy to consider. Even Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler. Even Emperor Nero, who condemned the Apostle Paul himself to death who persecuted Christians. How do we wrap our mind about that? How do we get a hold of that? Well, Christians have argued about this and debated about this since early on. How as a Christian do you deal with the state with honor and support even evil politicians with your taxes? Is Paul suggesting that we submit even to do evil things? Now consider that Paul was persecuted by a secular government. Do you think he'd really say to support it no matter what? Let's look carefully here. It says that no authority except that which God establishes. Whoever rebels against that authority is rebelling against what God instituted. That accusation could be carried against us with the American Revolution. Didn't God put King George in charge? It wouldn't rebellion against him be a bad thing? These are the questions we have to ask when we're reading Scripture and trying to grasp on 
the important thing to do is always be boldly honest and brutally serious when you consider these things because these are some hard questions to ask. Verse 3 says that rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. It tells us if we want to be free from the fear of the one in authority, then we have to do what's right. How does that reconcile with maybe a Christian in China in the last 60 years or so where the one child law was in effect effect, and abortion could be forced on you? Would cooperating with the state be the right thing in that situation? Or perhaps a Christian in the Soviet Union where uh, to even go to church for a time was illegal. Or North Korea where raising your child to know Christ could result in having your children taken away from you and you sent away to a prison camp. I just can't even imagine how scary that would be to be a believer in God and know that if I tell my child and the child slips up at all, we could be torn apart and sent to different places. can't imagine having to deal with that. Would a Christian in such situation be okay to follow what the state says? Or how about a Christian in Rome in the time of Domitian or Decius? Emperors who passed laws that said even if you didn't worship the Roman gods, you could be put to death. And they would require you to worship, Christian, worship the Roman gods, whether you were a Christian or not. Would that be okay? You see, Christians do have a long history of civil disobedience, right? I mean, think about the abolitionists during that time period of Abraham Lincoln and John Breckinridge. We had Christians who disobeyed the law, the law of the land, to rescue slaves from slavery. Would you disagree with them for turning against that? Will God bring them under judgment for that? How about uh, the civil disobedience during the civil rights movement? Or those who smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain or in some of the Muslim countries today which have some restrictions on what you believe. What about Christians who hid Jews from Nazis? Weren't they disobeying the government? I mean, it's even in the Bible. You look back at the time of Moses and the Egyptian pharaoh told the midwives that if there were any male Hebrew children born you were to cut their cords so they would bleed to death because they didn't want more male children there who could possibly lead revolts against them and fight the Egyptians. Yet the midwives disobeyed, and it says in Exodus 1.20 that God looked kindly on them for it. Weren't they disobeying the government? Or how about Peter and John who were told to stop preaching the gospel by the synagogue authorities in Israel? They were told not to preach the gospel at all. And as soon as they were released, what did they promptly go and do? They preached the gospel again. Now, we reach this part in Romans where Paul seems to maybe be saying something different, that we should obey the government, right? I think it's key that he doesn't say obey. He says submit. Maybe similar words, but not all the way. You, say, you see, if you look at the word submit, in Greek it's hopitasso. 
Now, you don't have to know Greek to be able to read your Bible and understand it, but sometimes you can learn a little extra. You can get a little background information which will make things a little bit clearer. And so we look where else Paul has used that word, and we find Ephesians 5.21 and on. He says in Ephesians 5.21 to submit to one another. And then he goes to the next line, which says, Wives, submit to your husbands. A verse which, by the way, has been abused a lot itself in Christianity. But if you read that entire section in Ephesians, it tells wives to submit to their husbands, and then it tells husbands to love their wives like their own body, to treat and care for them, and to deliver them pure and unblemished. You see, the submission of wives involves the leadership of a husband that is like Christ. Sacrificial. A good, healthy leadership. Now, let's be honest, that does not occur in all relationships at all, right? I think that gives us some key, though, to understanding the verse in Romans here, that the submission is based on good leadership. Godly leadership. That's key, to be holy. Because the husband in the husband-wife relationship is responsible that, that his wife is delivered holy and unblemished. Well, let's look back in the submission thing here in Romans. And I think that that's what matters here. It's not obeying all things. It's obeying those things that are like God. You see, it says here in verse 4, of Romans 13, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Well, that's where it hinges there, right? If the, if the government is serving the good, that is what God would have, that's what they're established for. When they become abusive, more specifically going against God's law, because I'm not going to say anything that you think is abusive goes for it. I'm going to say it goes when it's with God's law. If God's law says this and the government goes along with it, we're fine. If the government actually forces you to go against laws, God's law, that's where things change. It says that's why you pay taxes. You pay taxes for the authorities or God's servants. It says this in verse 6, God's servants who give their full time for governing. I had an opportunity to go and pray with some, um, some of our legislature here uh, down at the Capitol one time. And I was amazed to find out there was quite a few Christians in that group. And when, when I say that, I don't mean it laughably. I was truly surprised at the depth of some of the faith of some of them that I met. Truly struggling testimonies were shared. Now, this was maybe 15 people in a room. It wasn't the entire legislature by any stretch of the imagination, but they truly had a burden as a Christian to lead well. So, of course, I want to support them financially. I want to support to have good roads and, and good laws and a police force that supports the, the rights of people, all of those kind of things. That's why we pay our taxes. Heck, even Jesus told us to pay our taxes when he said, render under Caesar those things that are of Caesar. You see, even the most evil governments have established laws against things like theft, murder, rape, Corruption, right? And even, let's not pretend if you look at most governments that even though they have those laws, they don't fall into these very things. Are we honest about that? Those things are in line with God's law. We should support that. 
It says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Now, in one of my classes in seminary, I had to memorize this section of Romans. And I, as I was practicing, this was actually two semesters ago, as I was practicing through this, trying to memorize it, I kind of had the TV on and I saw something cool happen and I paused from what I was doing, distracted by the TV. And it was a helicopter hovering over a town in Mexico where they had, round, where they had chased a drug lord and his minions, people who were definitely doing evil. And here's the thing that caught my attention. The helicopter was pouring down flaming machine gun bullets, just sweeping this villa where all these guys, all these bad guys were, who were shooting back at them and had been dealing drugs and murdered people and done all those terrible things. And just seeing the, the um, tracers as that, those machine guns were going down there, I was like, that's the sword of the government. When somebody shoots at a police officer and they shoot him back, or they chase down a bank robber, or they track down a rapist and put him in prison. That is the sword of the government being used rightly. But that doesn't always happen, does it? So we come to today where we have governments in charge around the world, and some of them are fairly good, and others are awful. I don't know if a government exists that's truly godly. It's all more a spectrum, a continuum of sin. Why? Because it's run by sinful human beings, just like us. But we're in a unique position here. In the United States, we get to cast a vote. That's true in some other countries, but it hasn't been true for most of history. We even get to take part in government if we want. We can run for office, any one of us. Daniel, you want to be president? No? <laughs> Me neither. Man. It's a lot of work and not much respect from a lot of people. You see, some Christians have treated this throughout history as if we should separate ourselves. We shouldn't be involved at all in government whatsoever. That's certainly one option. It's not one I agree with. Reason being is we're never told not to be a part of government. We're never told not to have a vote or a voice. It's just not our primary concern. I will tell you, I treat it, though, as a matter of stewardship. We're told to use the things of God for good things. We're told to do all things as if we're doing them to God. So why wouldn't we want to have a voice in government? Why wouldn't we want to speak up for what's right and what's wrong? then we get into the sticky part because we start talking about concrete issues. How do we deal with abortion? How do we deal with the environment? God put us here. One of our jobs that God left us with was to take care of this planet. We don't do such a great job at that. How about our care for the poor? Should that be the government or just churches that are in charge of doing that? Should that be a communal thing or should that just be an individual thing? What about economic policies that are sometimes abusive, both on the capitalism side and the socialism side? There's abusive economic policies. What about war? Are wars ever right? 
Are they ever wrong? Do we just support our troops no matter what, even if maybe what's going on is not the right thing? What about the death penalty? What about LGBT rights? There's a lot of questions that they're easy when you're far away. It's easy to talk about, hey, we should help out in government. But now when we get in the nitty-gritty, that's when it gets ugly. It gets difficult. There's a quote I read uh, on this where it says, Political discourse is the Las Vegas of Christianity. The environment in which our sin is excused, where hate is winked at, fear is perpetuated, and strife is applauded. Go wild, Christ follower. Your words have no consequence here. At least that's how it's treated sometimes. For the record, Jesus doesn't live in Las Vegas or even America. Our Lord is not a socialist or a capitalist. He never registered as a Democrat or a Republican. So what's that mean? How do we deal with the nitty-gritty of what party we vote for or what politician we vote for? If you can't see the brokenness, the lies, the hypocrisy, and sin in both of our major parties, then you're just not paying attention. If you can't stand up and look at a Republican and say, I'm sorry, I can't hold with all your issues. If you can't stand up to a Democrat and say, I can't hold with everything that you believe in, you don't understand the gospel. You see, that's what Jesus' concern was, was the gospel. The message to the world of love, of, of God's love, of the salvation provided through Jesus. And as we read in the New Testament, I think there's some really key parts that we have to get. For example, we are called citizens of heaven in Philippians 3.20. Not citizens of America. We are called ambassadors from another place in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're called foreigners and strangers in Hebrews. We're called aliens and strangers in 1 Peter. We are visitors from somewhere else. We belong to a different king, not to a president. And as visitors from somewhere else, as ambassadors of another nation, God's country, our position here is one as peacemaker. Isn't that what ambassadors do? Our job here is to give honor where honor is due. So let's bring that one to practical. If you didn't like President Barack Obama, I hope you still honored him. Because his position is due some. If you don't like President Donald Trump, I hope that you still honor him because his position requires it. You don't have to agree with either of them, but how you act towards them matters as a Christian and as a peacemaker. And that's part of the message. Part of the way we demonstrate the gospel is because we are peacemakers. We give respect, we give honor, but we stand for truth. As to the law, so long as the government is in line with God's law, I think it's clear that if it doesn't contradict God's law, we're called to honor and submit to it. But when it breaks God's law, when we are forced to do things that are evil, if we follow our conscience, 
then we're called to break God's law, or break the government's law. Sorry, let's get the right one we break there. You see, I think it was very important and it really mattered that President Abraham Lincoln was elected instead of John Breckinridge. Because I firmly believe that the policy of keeping other human beings in bondage is wrong. Why do I believe that? I believe that because God's word gives value. That there is neither man nor woman, neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Gentile. When I look at Revelation and I see that the future of us is with people of all races, I think that matters. And thus, as a Christian, I'm going to stand up and vote and believe that way. It matters that we stand up for right as Christians, but we have to act as Christians as we do it, as peacemakers, as truth speakers, and those who love, love others even when they don't agree with us. I don't want to see screaming in the streets. I don't want to see nasty comments from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ on Facebook. What amazing thing would it be if there was a large enough group of believers who lived as followers of God in such a way that whether or not people agreed with you, they respected you because, man, that guy listens. That guy cares. She's different than the other people. Even though she's a Republican or even though she's a Democrat, she doesn't act like all the crazy ones out there. She's different. He's different. That's what we're supposed to be. As peacemakers and truth speakers, let me tell you one of the things I would love to see, a practical application of all of this. Whether you are registered as a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent or a Green or a Communist or whatever the heck you might be on that list of people, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see us call out the sin on our own side. Instead of Christian pastors coming around Donald Trump and coming back and saying, yeah, I think he's a Christian. I would rather say them say, we prayed for him. I don't know where he is in his faith. I don't think he's as close as I'd like him to be, but I'm going to pray for him as the leader of our nation. I would like to see Democrats do that when they talk about Hillary Clinton or whoever the next one that they bring up is. I would like them to say, you know what? We're calling her to a higher standard. How different would our entire political system be if the Christians on both sides called their own side to honor, to truth, and to godliness? And that we also respected the other side with honor, with truth, and with respect. Godliness matters, and we're supposed to look different because our long-term citizenship isn't here in the United States. It isn't here in Arizona, Maricopa County, Phoenix. Our long-term citizenship is with God. And we come as messengers of him, ambassadors, bringing something different. We're bringing this gospel that we've spent so many weeks learning how it works. So practically speaking, get out there. Vote your conscience. Educate yourself on issues. Listen to the other side and seek peace with them when you don't agree. God, please help us in this next election. And the next one. And the next one. And the next one.